Yeah, I just thought I'd begin with um, the obvious COVID-19. Um, just been looking up um, rates of uh, um, infection, or should I actually say um, total um, infections. And what we have is um, in number one spot, uh, the United States, where I suppose it sort of fittingly should be. Uh, but uh, we have uh, Brazil um, uh, overtaking Russia uh, to come in at number two. And as I said, Russia is at number three. Now, we need to be careful uh, with those figures, um, because one would guess, at least in the United States, there would be more... Uh, records uh, kept than they will be in Brazil. Um, so what I've done is uh, looked at um, infection rates per thousand. Now that also needs to be taken uh, carefully uh, because of course what we're dealing with is um, different rates of um, infection and also what I wanted to draw out um, is actually that uh, it's clear that this particular virus uh, impacts on older people and people who are older with some underlying problem. Um, so if we look at um, um, the United States, I think the total um, um, death, uh, deaths in the United States is fast approaching. Uh, 100,000. And if you compare that with Africa, again, with due warning uh, about uh, records, we only have 3,100 deaths, which really does surprise me, I have to say. When I first wrote um, uh, about COVID-19, I was looking at uh, Western Europe, Japan, the United States, and all the rest of it, and saying, well, Things are pretty bad here, but wait till it hits India, wait till it hits Africa. Well, maybe that's still the case, uh, but uh, because Africa has a particularly young uh, age profile, and if we take the United States, Western Europe, Japan, uh, these countries have a particular old uh, age profile, we should expect uh, the virus to have a different impact. Anyway, I had a quick look at uh, deaths per thousand uh, uh, infections. At the top was uh, Belgium, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? So in terms of deaths per thousand infections, 163.1 deaths. Uh, next down the league table is France with 155.18. Uh, next is the United Kingdom, 143.17. Um, we carry on down the list. We arrive at Italy, Netherlands, Sweden, Spain, Canada, Switzerland. And again, making the point about uh, we need to take these figures carefully and know what we're talking about, after Switzerland comes the United States, because remember, uh, the United States has a very large population um, compared with many other countries. On the other hand, below the United States in terms of uh, deaths per thousand uh, is China, 55.85. Uh, Further down, right at the bottom of the league table, 
in terms of uh, statistics we're talking about, in terms of, you know, I su- I'm not saying reliable statistics, uh, but I'm saying in terms of who's been keeping statistics. At the bottom two, we have Turkey, uh, 27 uh, deaths per thousand of infections. I guess that that's again because it's a young uh, country. And at the very bottom uh, is South Korea, 23.69. So, um, it's a complex uh, picture. I suppose the best way uh, to judge things uh, is to look at the rate of infections. And if you look at graphs, I'm not saying that these figures are um, scientific, but if you do look at graphs, uh, in general what you've got is a sort of rise and uh, a steadying out and maybe some sort of um, gentle downturn now. Uh, the most notable thing in terms of the graphs that I've been looking at is Brazil shooting up. And uh, one doesn't need to uh, guess too much uh, about why that is. So we do seem to be um, reaching uh, the zenith of this uh, virus at the moment. We seem to have reached a plateau in most countries, and what we're seeing in most countries is a gentle uh, decline. Now, um, all the scientists will tell you, uh, don't be complacent. Um, The chances are you'll get um, uh, another Uh, resurgence, Uh, hence um, just simply ending uh, all restrictions, that would be uh, foolish. Um, uh, You've got to uh, uh, keep controls, Um, you've got to keep uh, an eye in terms of if there's any sudden uh, upturn. Um, Anyway, turning to the politics um, of it, um, in Britain at least we have the uh, school's return debate, I've put in my notes, schools return in inverted commas, uh, because of course um, loads of schools have stayed open, uh, not only for, um, you know, frontline workers, uh, but also uh, for so-called disadvantaged uh, kids. Um, So schools have been open. Um, And what we have in terms, if you want to uh, talk about it in polarised terms, and I think that's reasonably fair if we do, on the far right, uh, you've got those agitating, um, um, you know, basically that COVID-19 isn't real, and if it uh, is real, it only affects old people anyway, so who gives a damn? Um, You know, let it uh, uh, loose. And meanwhile, you'll save more lives by carrying on as normal. Um, and on the left, what you've got um, is the demand for no return uh, to work until it's safe. Well, I have to say, um, I agree um, with the the left on this one, no return to work until it's safe, except, of course, to add uh, that no work, uh, no life uh, is entirely safe. And, um, you know, as with normal flu, Uh, Kids are are carriers. Um, You know, you're not going to be in a situation uh, of where you have total safety. And the fact of the matter is, I think, as Marx uh, once remarked, that, you know, if you close down the economy uh, uh, for a day or two days or three days, uh, then people start to starve. So the reality of lockdown is it hasn't been uh, total. It's only been partial 
uh, and that's correct. Um, so in terms of return to work, yes, with safety measures, with trade union control, um, um, with the right of workers um, who feel particularly vulnerable because they might be looking after uh, an aged relative and all the rest of it, uh, we favour a return to work, but yes, with um, safety uh, in mind. Now, having said that this is a left-right polarisation, uh, you know, I need to introduce another corrective, because if we look at the demonstrations in, for example, uh, the United States uh, demanding a return to work, while they are characterised by being right-wing and right-libertarian, we shouldn't forget uh, the material uh, relationships um, underneath that, because um, uh, what we have is a, a lot of uh, workers um, who are in work that's casual, who ain't going to be uh, uh, covered uh, by government uh, measures. Uh, we're dealing with um, a petty bourgeois uh, section that might be in the unofficial uh, economy. And if you look at it from their point of view, while it's correct for the left to raise the demand that these people ought to be covered as well, from their point of view, these people are going hungry. These people are not paying their rent, not paying their mortgages. Um, so it, it isn't as simple as saying left or right. And the danger with the left is it, it can respond in, under these circumstances in a purely trade unionist uh, uh, fashion. And what we need to be doing is actually looking for a social uh, response uh, to this uh, uh, virus. Um, so we actually need to be looking at uh, what measures would you be fighting for at a, a governmental uh, level with the full knowledge uh, that the left is in no position um, uh, of where it stands on the threshold uh, of power or government or anything like it. Anyway, moving on, we have the scandal around Dominic Cummings. On one level, it's a piece of nonsense, and it shows you that uh, the media, the press, TV, and all the rest of it are very Westminster-centric. Uh, um, you know, if, if it happens in Westminster, if they can send their TV crews, which they're permanently based down there, scurrying along to 10 Downing Street, uh, that's fine uh, by them. Um, but the reality is, why Dominic Cummings? Uh, the reality, in my view, is because he actually stands there as a symbol uh, for the uh, Johnson government. Um, he was the guy that fronted, uh, or at least masterminded, the, um, the Brexit uh, campaign. He was the guy that masterminded the Johnson strategy uh, in terms of the December general election, um, make Brexit happen and uh, all the rest of it. But he's also, isn't he, uh, the guy that's rumoured to have said uh, that COVID-19 doesn't matter um, we can go for herd immunity, and uh, so what? Uh, if old people die, that will save us uh, money. So in terms of uh, people's reaction to him, uh, I can well understand why, uh, when the government comes out and says we're all in it together, um, you go, well, no, that ain't the case. Not only do we have people like Cummings, 
uh, going, what is it, 270 miles round trip or whatever it is. But also, you know, let's also take note of the fact that when it came to Boris Johnson, where did he go to recover? He didn't uh, stay in central London. He went to the prime ministerial estate, Chequers, the royal family. There you are. Uh, you're up in Scotland in, uh, um, in the Highlands. Uh, or you're on the Windsor uh, estate. Uh, the idea that we have similar conditions uh, is ridiculous. And, of course, if you take London uh, in particular, the number of people um, who don't have any garden whatsoever, who live in crowded flats, uh, and people criticise people uh, for going out uh, into parks. Well, come on, it's all right if you've got a private park, I suppose, isn't it? Um, in terms of the government... One of its latest measures is to impose a quarantine um, restriction on incoming um, uh, visitors. You have to ask the question of why wasn't that done earlier. Um, quite frankly, I don't know. Um, other countries imposed uh, um, a travel uh, ban or restriction uh, early on. That would have been a sensible thing to do. It's not entirely crazy uh, doing it uh, at the present time. Basically what it's saying uh, is unless you're, uh, you've got some special uh, exemption, um, um, Britain isn't open uh, for tourism uh, this year. Um, in, in other words, if you're coming here uh, for a holiday, uh, don't bother, because unless it's well over uh, two weeks, you're not a, a you're not legally uh, allowed to. Uh, but you, as I say, you have to ask the question of why. Why uh, so late? And uh, that goes uh, for a lot of other uh, government uh, measures, you know, like testing, tracing, um, and all the rest of it, which still um, isn't in place. Okay, um, different subject. National press circulation figures. I don't know if you've been um, looking at this, but uh, they ain't going to be published anymore. So uh, we won't know what the circulation of the Sun is, the Times, the Telegraph, the Financial Times, uh, unless you're an advertiser. And then you're given uh, this uh, information uh, in uh, private. Well, the reasons for it are um, uh, obvious. Uh, and that is, apart from very few uh, papers, what we've seen is uh, a very sharp uh, decline over the years. You know, it used to be the case that the Sun had a circulation of three million. Uh, I doubt at the moment that it's got a circulation of a million. Um, you know, the, the Telegraph used to boast about its huge readership, Daily Mail. All of them have gone down and down and down. Um, that means, of course, that they um, um, command uh, less advertising uh, revenue um, and also, uh, uh, in that sense, have, uh, you know, constantly cut their budgets uh, in terms of reporters, constantly relied on um, agencies. Uh, and in that sense, you can understand why you have the Westminster uh, bubble uh, because out there, uh, outside, um, you know, so-called Fleet Street, uh, regional papers are going down faster than national 
papers. So you don't have local stories uh, being fed in. Um, so the news becomes particularly uh, distorted. Okay, you can make the argument uh, that we have electronic uh, media, and we do. Um, who trusts electronic media? Well, depends what you read, but also note uh, governments and various agencies moving in to restrict um, the electronic uh, media. Uh, from our point of view, that's um, 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 bad. Um, we would rather have a free media uh, and with that false uh, information uh, than uh, government-controlled uh, information, which almost by definition uh, is going to be false. Um, having said um, that, you know, the newspaper circulation is going down, we shouldn't forget still the ability um, of the national newspapers to actually set the news agenda. Uh, it does tend to be the Sun, the Mail, the Telegraph, you name it, that set the agenda because they can come in from a particular angle and they're not obliged to balance uh, that story in the same way uh, that, um, you know, Sky, um, ITV, BBC uh, and all the rest of it are meant to. Uh, in other words, between um, uh, Starmer and Johnson, they're meant to give you a balanced uh, picture. Uh, the Telegraph, the Express, the Mail have no such obligation and therefore they can create a story that then gets reported um, on the BBC. Anyway, um, it, it's certainly worthwhile thinking uh, about the decline uh, of the national uh, press because it's clear um, that the press isn't what it was in the 1920s, 30s, 40s and 50s. And it's not clear uh, that something else, on the other hand, has taken its place. Certainly the left press uh, remains uh, massively weak. Okay, moving on, Hong Kong, um, a great deal of uh, commentary around Hong Kong, all sorts of resolutions and, um, how should we put it, um, nonsense uh, uh, being written. Well, you know the basic story, and that's the National People's uh, Congress in Beijing has met, long delayed. It's uh, decreed, voted, uh, that the national security law will apply to Hong Kong. This means that uh, advocacy of secession uh, is banned. Uh, foreign interference, ha ha ha, is banned, and terrorism is banned. Well, what's terrorism? Um, I don't know. A couple of words on secession. Uh, I have seen in the left press uh, the demand repeated um, Hong Kong for the Hong Kongers. Um, some on the left naively uh, think that's just a, a, a slogan directed against Beijing, which basically means uh, mainland uh, uh, hands off, um, we want to decide our own future. That's not true. Hong Kong for the Hong Kongers is a chauvinist um, slogan which is directed at migrants uh, from the mainland. It's not simply directed at Beijing. It's directed at uh, not real Hong Kongers. 
Um, uh, as to the foreign uh, interference, well, it's quite clear there's been uh, foreign um, interference. Uh, no one can debate uh, uh, that. Uh, but the idea uh, that um, this is unique uh, to Hong Kong, uh, obviously that's nonsense. Uh, terrorism, what's that? Is, is that demonstrating? Um, is that smashing up uh, the local parliament? I I'm not sure. Either way, uh, it's clear uh, that from uh, Beijing's point of view, it wants to clamp down. That's obvious. The inference that uh, Western commentators draw from it, I think, is a lot more problematic because what they talk about is the end of um, Hong Kong's prosperity. And I've even heard um, on the radio statements along the lines of, well, Hong Kong um, gained its prosperity uh, because of democracy. Well, obviously, that's a complete nonsense. What you might argue is that Hong Kong gained its prosperity, uh, one, uh, because it's attached to China. Um, that is one argument. Um, two, you can say that Hong Kong was integrated into the um, capitalist economy. That's certainly true. And I think you can make the argument that in Hong Kong, um, you had um, English-style law. Um, that argument I can accept. But the idea uh, that you had democracy uh, is laughable. Uh, you only had anything resembling democracy uh, as Hong Kong uh, the lease on Hong Kong, or at least l most of Hong Kong, uh, was due to come to an end in 1997. And under uh, Chris Patton, uh, what they then started to introduce is elections uh, for various positions. And clearly the idea was uh, to pass China a poisoned uh, uh, cup. Um, um, and in that sense, to uh, facilitate what they thought, and I don't know whether this is genuine or, or feigned, um, but uh, the idea has been uh, that so-called bourgeois democracy, um, you know, with Fukuyama, the end of history, this is some sort of pinnacle of human achievement. All societies are destined to go in that direction, and if we encourage them, uh, mainland China uh, would adopt uh, Western-style uh, capitalism. I mean, maybe they're completely cynical. Uh, I don't know. But that might have been a motivation. Uh, but as I said, the idea uh, of um, Hong Kong's prosperity being based on uh, democracy is a complete lie. And also what you have to note um, is that since the um, Nixon uh, Mao rapprochement, which was obviously directed uh, at the Soviet Union, what you've seen, certainly with the coming to power of Deng Xiaoping and, um, um, you know, the development of capitalism uh, in China, is massive investment in China from the outside, in part by Chinese uh, businessmen based on in Macau, Malaysia, Canada, the United States, Hong Kong, but also from Western uh, companies. And, and if you look at UN statistics, when they're boasting about the success of the global economy, they will say X million people, even billion uh, people 
uh, have been lifted out of poverty over the last 20 years. Note the fact that two-thirds of them uh, are Chinese. Um, um, so it's not the adoption of the Western model uh, that has lifted people out of prosperity or brought prosperity to China. But on the other hand, I don't think it's the authoritarian model. The, the explanation uh, is that China was allowed to integrate uh, into the world economy. It was allowed to join the World Trade Organization. Uh, and uh, U.S. imperialism gave the green light uh, for investments uh, to go uh, into uh, China. Uh, that is the explanation. So China begins basically uh, with a huge surplus uh, workforce that can be uh, sent into factories uh, as cheap labor. Um, that is the explanation. And obviously over time, what they've been making has become more sophisticated. We've seen the rise of China. And you can certainly talk about the only serious challenger um, in existence at the moment uh, to the United States is clearly China. Um, I don't subscribe to the school that says that China's rise is inexorable. Um, quite the opposite. I think actually China's in a very weak position in terms of uh, global politics. Um, if you ask yourself who is, who's China's um, closest ally, you might come up with the answer, well, it's North Korea. Um, and you might then at a push say, well, its other close ally is Russia, and even then I think you would be pushing it. But who else would you talk about uh, being a close ally uh, of China or any sort of ally uh, of China? And that says it all. Um, China in the main has been a supplier of um, uh, finished or semi-finished products, uh, but the intellectual rights, um, who occupies the pinnacle, clearly remains uh, the United States. Now, it might be at the moment under the leadership of a semi-deranged um, individual, uh, but nothing takes away still um, um, the United States' position uh, as the global hegemon. No matter how much it pisses off uh, Europe, no matter how much it insults, uh, you know, uh, Trudeau um, or Merkel, uh, that still remains the case. Now, whoever wins the November elections, presuming there is elections in the United States in November, I would expect some imperial pushback still to take place. Uh, I don't see uh, that coming to an end. Um, the particular form that it takes under uh, Trump might come to an end, uh, but I would expect it from both uh, Trump um, or uh, uh, Biden. Um, anyway, just um, just to note the uh, China Research Group and um, Tugan Hart. Uh, it's interesting how um, a right winger like him adopts left wing language, and uh, I've heard him interviewed talking about Chinese neo colonialism um, in Africa. Now, I actually think that that is correct, uh, that if you look at China, it's not investing in Tanzania, in Zimbabwe, in South Africa, in Nigeria, out of the goodness of its heart. It is exploiting wage labor. It is extracting surplus value. Uh, 
And of course, what we understand about surplus value is that surplus value is realised um, in a sale. And uh, ultimately, who will realise most of the surplus value that is generated by African uh, workers um, working for a Chinese firm or a part-owned Chinese firm will not actually be Chinese capitalists. Uh, the chances are uh, it will be Apple. Uh, it will be uh, an American a company that actually realises uh, that surplus value. But that doesn't take away, doesn't detract uh, from my argument that, yes, China does have a neo-colonial relationship with some African countries. But when it comes to someone like Tugendhat, would he say the same about Britain? Would he say the same about the United States or France? Uh, I doubt it. And when it comes to talking about uh, totalitarian or authoritarian regime or whatever language he wants to use, will he apply that to Saudi Arabia? Um, or will he turn a blind eye uh, to the fact that here we have um, a rightly named uh, state, Saudi? Um, that's like talking about Britain um, in terms of Windsor or Saxe-Coburg. Uh, that's the reality of Saudi Arabia. It is a family uh, a business, um, and it's run uh, as a family uh, business. Um, just to push it a bit more, um, if one thinks about World War I, there's no doubt um, that uh, Germany uh, was on the rise, but it was obvious uh, that Britain could stop uh, Germany. And certainly after 1905, uh, it was obvious that Britain could stop Germany because what it did, it joined the Russian-Franco alliance and in effect uh, what that meant is the global encirclement um, um, of, um, of Germany. Um, and that's what the United States um, is attempting to do uh, at the moment uh, with China. Okay, moving on. Israel. Uh, today we have the opening of uh, the trial of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. If you look at what he's being up for, it's basically corruption. On the trivial level, it's uh, cigars and champagne. On the more serious level, it's about doing deals with newspaper proprietors to make sure he gets good coverage. In other words, you know, um, I'm going to take this restriction off you or give you that tax break, uh, this bit of legislation, but you make sure uh, I remain uh, Prime Minister and Likud remains the leading par party uh, in Israel. That, that's what he's being charged with. And what we've seen is three general elections in Israel, basically so he can keep out of jail. It, it, it's as simple uh, uh, as that. Um, and what we have now in place uh, for three years, supposedly due to COVID-19, is a grand coalition. And that unites Likud, parties to the right of it, uh, but also uh, blue and white, but also the so-called Israeli Labour Party. And what we have is a massive cabinet, uh, you know, compared with the size of Parliament, the Knesset, um, and we have a, um, a one and a half year on, one and a half year off, where even when he isn't prime minister, he remains sort of prime minister. So he's got a keep out of jail card 
for three years. Um, who knows what happens after that? But what I noted is when he was um, being sworn in and his acceptance speech was very interesting because um, in his acceptance speech he talked about another glorious chapter uh, in the history of uh, Zionism. And specifically what he meant by that is the plan which locks in on um, July the 1st uh, of when the deal of the century um, um, you know, becomes uh, legitimate as far as the United States is concerned and Israel can go ahead and incorporate into Israel proper um, the settlements on the West Bank uh, but also territory um, in the Jordan uh, uh, Valley. Um, July the 1st, will he do it? I don't know. I don't think on July the 1st. Uh, but also note that Benny Gantz, the deputy, or is it joint prime minister, uh, didn't have any such references in his speech. But note that all the parties uh, in this coalition are now signed up to the Donald Trump uh, deal uh, of uh, the century. So maybe Netanyahu is playing politics, maybe he's looking forward to a, a fourth uh, general election, who knows? Um, on the other hand, what better time uh, to go for annexation than in the, in the middle of this coronavirus, uh, because there will still be restrictions on mass demonstrations, meetings, protests, uh, and all the rest of it. And while Palestinians might go out onto the streets, undoubtedly they would, uh, will people in New York, will people in London, Paris, Berlin, uh, much more problematic. So maybe, maybe um, he will go for that uh, earlier rather than later. Maybe he will go for it in the middle of his uh, corruption trial. Who the hell knows? Uh, but I take that uh, seriously myself. And of course, what could happen with a, an annexation uh, is Israel might make it part of a wider uh, conflict, because would, would Hezbollah, for example, under those circumstances, uh, sit on its hands? What would Iran do under those circumstances? You know, I haven't got a clue. Uh, but it's clear uh, that in terms of the next glorious chapter of Zionism, um, I think we're going to see some dramatic developments, uh, not simply in the long term, um, but chances are in the short term. Um, hence, uh, if we take where we are, not only in Britain, but in particular in Britain, uh, the, um, the witch hunting uh, that's going on, I don't think will let off. Uh, I think it will increase. And I think that's the explanation uh, for the witch hunting of people in Stop the War Coalition uh, and uh, Labour MPs guilt by association and all the rest of it. It's a highly effective weapon in silencing people and turning the left into a police force for the right. Um, and that's what I want to turn to next. Um, last week we had the news uh, that John Landsman, who's a member of the Labour Party National Executive Committee, and is also chair of this organization. I don't know how many members it claims, uh, but the um, 
Corbyn rank and file movement uh, momentum, um, he decided to step down as chair. Uh, this is in the run-up to their elections for a new national leadership. But we've also heard news uh, that uh, someone called um, uh, Ruth Cashman has been barred in terms of standing for one particular faction um, of momentum. Why has she been barred? Apparently because of an article in the Weekly Worker from years ago uh, of where we criticise the organisation of which she's part of uh, for their attitude um, uh, towards imperialism and uh, Muslims uh, uh, in particular. This organisation, the AWL, uh, of course, cannot see that there's a witch hunt, uh, even when they are affected uh, by the witch hunt, because th they are witch hunters themselves. Uh, they've been at the forefront of those that say uh, that anyone who doesn't recognise Israel's right to exist as a Zionist state uh, are anti-Semites. Um, I don't advocate myself uh, a so-called two-state uh, solution, um, under uh, capitalism, but if you do, according to the AWL, um, um, anyway, according to the AWL, um, if you don't stand for Israel's right to exist as a non-Zionist uh, state, then you're an anti-Semite, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Anyway, um, she's being barred from standing... Meanwhile, John Landsman's got himself a new job as a political advisor uh, to a Brighton MP. Clearly, this is not on the um, glorious ladder uh, upwards to a new career. Um, it, it does strike me as simply a, a bit of money uh, while he looks forward to retirement. But the crucial question about John Landsman is, does he remain owner uh, of Momentum? Isn't it amazing on the left? Uh, that you actually have an owner uh, of an organisation, i.e. you'll have all the finances, but also um, access uh, to people's web addresses and all the rest of it. Um, OK, this year, a couple of Labour Party news items. Um, no Labour Party conference. Uh, that sort of doesn't surprise me. Um... But that's not good news for um, Keir Starmer. He would have wanted um, the Labour Party conference. Why? Uh, because he'll still be in his honeymoon period uh, with the Labour rank and file. Um, and also he will be seeking to enjoy or extend his honeymoon period with the trade union uh, bureaucracy. Um, but yeah, from our point of view, it's bad. Uh, because although this conference would have been far more difficult than previous conferences, uh, which we found an amazing response from Labour Party rank and filers, this one will be clearly, if it happened, much more difficult uh, for us because we're critics of Keir Starmer, uh, not, um, how should you put it, um, um, allies or critical friends or anything like that. Um, anyway, it's cancelled. What is more problematic is the cancellation of the meeting of the Labour Representation Committee. This is a faction 
in the Labour Party that had already been due to have its annual general meeting. That meeting was cancelled, no surprise. We're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. But their electronic, their online version of their conference was also uh, cancelled. According to their official statement, it was cancelled because it's so difficult to get together a political statement online. Well, what a load of nonsense. You know, Parliament... Uh, functions online, uh, uh, governments can function online, international diplomacy can function online, we can function online. Uh, the idea that the Labour Representation Committee can't function online to draw up some political statement is clearly nonsense. Now, it might be true, uh, but forgive my, forgive my scepticism. My explanation um, is that it's politics, and it's the politics that I've already referred to, and that is the danger um, from the likes of John McDonald, the former shadow chancellor um, uh, under Jeremy Corbyn's uh, uh, leadership, the danger that he will address an electronic, an online um, uh, annual general meeting um, of uh, the Labour Representation Committee and in the audience, there there will be a little square uh, with, oh, there's Jackie Walker. Um, oh, there you are, there's Tony Greenstein. Over there, there's Mark Wadsworth. Over there, there's Stan Keeble of the Labour Party Marxist. Uh, will he want that? Will he want the press coming in and uh, screen um, shooting uh, that while he addresses uh, the meeting? Will Keir Starmer be happy with him addressing such a meeting? We've already seen what happened to Diane Abbott, and we saw the statement that Diane Abbott and uh, her colleague Addy uh, issued afterwards that we would not knowingly address such an audience. Will John McDonald break ranks and address such an audience? Uh, I think that what we have is a diplomatic cancellation, and I think the reasoning most likely is that it will all blow over uh, by September. Uh, I, I don't think so. Not only do I think that restrictions on gatherings uh, will still be in place, uh, but I think the politics of the witch hunt will still be in place. Uh, under these circumstances, would we issue solidarity greetings to John McDonnell? Um, for, for this action, this is the result, uh, Diane Abbott, that John McDonnell uh, also collapses and that the Labour Representation Committee can't even hold an electronic AGM, so fearful uh, are they uh, that their honorary chair will either pull out uh, uh, or be disciplined uh, or hounded out of the Labour Party. Who the hell knows, but I think that's much more likely uh, an explanation um, of the cancellation of this meeting uh, than uh, these Conways can't master um, electronics. Um, so that's the end.